This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here, go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, uh, we may need to get in your kitchen a little bit. And make sure you know what you're cooking is a financial services professional. One of the things we need to be talking about, not just with our clients, but in our conversations with the mirror is financial wellness. And we are bringing to you one of the foremost experts on financial wellness to the podcast today, Mr. Vince Shorb from the National Financial Educators Council. What's up, Vince? Kyle, good to be here. We're glad to have you, man. And you know, it's interesting. I think this is actually a really good topic for our own audience to hear for our own personal household finance amongst any any number of other things. Obviously, we're going in and we're, you know, as property and casualty insurance agents in the middle market having these conversations with our clients on a regular basis, probably some of us more than others, but we're in an industry where you can make an irresponsible amount of money really, really quickly. And I say that because a lot of us tend to be irresponsible with said money when we get it and can get the things we typically wouldn't have gotten before. So I'm really interested in diving deep in in talking through some of what it is that your organization does to help people like us, help us relate better to our clients and prospects, and ultimately improve the financial wellness of the world. Hey, you bring up a good point. You know, it's uh, we're often trying to push financial education, educate clients and educate the masses in communities on financial education. But as you mentioned, in a high income industry, I come from the mortgage space two decades ago. All my buddies, myself, were making tons of money, right? And then rates went up, but all my buddies were buying second homes, boats, fifth wheelers and so forth. I'm like, guys, what are you doing? Come on, let's let's kind of live within our means. If rates pop up, you're, you're in trouble. And what happened? Rates popped up, sold, fire sale, fire sale. I got calls all the time. Hey, you want to buy my ATV? You want to buy my boat? Like, no, guys, you know, come on. And you saw all these credit reports. You saw what people are getting into. So yeah, you bring up a good point. My always, I'm promoting financial education in communities, but it is very important as well with the high producers like yourselves and those you teach to make sure you're thinking about your overall financial wellness and that long-term implications of those things we're buying. I'll tell you what, man, I don't know of any industry that crashed harder than the mortgage industry two years, you know, two decades ago. Like 
when I first moved back to Tampa, probably oh four, my friends were printing money, like literally printing money. You could not like anybody could open up a mortgage brokerage in the spare bedroom of their home. And as long as they had enough friends that they could get to let them review the current statements or whatever, they were getting looks all the time. And it's literally like, I've never seen something where the rug got pulled out so quickly, even though the writing was on the wall. So, so, so quickly. And, you know, look, I think, Every one of us, some of us worse than others. There's a there's a much higher beta coefficient that goes with me because I'm a risk taker, man. I'm a gunslinger. I'm going to do whatever I want to do <laughs> to try and make as much as I can. And so that got me into a lot of trouble earlier in my adult life. You know, I, I ended up I, I think there's an epidemic in this country when as a freshman in college, you can get solicited for more for three or more credit cards before you ever meet with your academic advisor. Right. <laughs> Walking Very in, true. like, I can still remember yeah. in the mid-90s, walking into the mailbox where the community mail was, and, you know, there were tables set up outside of the student union with all of these offers for student visas and MasterCards and everything else. And we're not even calculating what, you know, the hot button of, of the day with the student loans and all of that that we're dealing with with the Supreme Court and Congress right now. I'm just talking about just general understanding of debt and how it works and you're taking college kids that that really have had no formal training or education outside of what they may have received at home or if they're in a local church or or organization that offers up some sort of education along those lines the average person graduates high school they don't even know how to keep a check register at this point right, right? i don't think yeah. my sons my sons wouldn't even know how to write a check yeah, that's crazy, man. I know we've talked about this on other pods before, but I mean, that, like, I do remember learning how to do that in in middle school, going to like Enterprise Village or um, right. freaking whatever the place. There was an, there was another one too. I can't remember what it's called, but um, like, so I know how to do that. But I, th there's not a chance that either one of my brothers know how to do that. They're younger than I am, five five and nine years younger than I am. There's no there's no chance. Yeah. So before yeah. we start solving all the world's problems, let's stop and rewind for just a couple of seconds. And let's Vince, let's give you the grand intro you deserve, man. Talk a little bit about, you know, your background and where you came from and what led you to this mission of educating people on financial wellness. Yeah, it actually started in high school. I was just so frustrated what they were teaching. I don't care about chemistry. I don't care about biology. I like to watch Discovery Channel. I don't care about English <laughs> literature, right? I don't care. I, I care less. It's useless. We're still teaching these same subjects today that we taught 100 years ago. We have computers. We have chat GPT. Everything should change. And yet we're not teaching insurance, Right. I remember when I was younger, got out of school and, and was driving my car and I might've still been in high school, but I'm like, I don't need insurance. What are they going to sue me for? Right. I'm like, I don't need car insurance. I'm not going to pay that. I'm, what, I don't have any money. They can't sue me. Right. Uh, I was wrong, obviously from the listeners. I'm sure your listeners know, but um, you know, it was just, they never taught the things that people need to meet their basic human needs. Mm -hmm. Instead, we're teaching these things that nobody will ever use. Less than 5% of people use science to earn income, right? Let's focus these kids. That's where the frustration came. Not, I got into financial services to tackle that issue. And I, I, I liked it, but I felt I was putting a Band-Aid on a lot of people and people would refinance and I'd pay off all their bills, save them a few grand a month. 
send them with a nice budget. Hey, you're saving three grand. Here's what you can do. Here's what your future would look like. Eight months later, hey, I need another 50 grand. I need another hundred grand, right? So my mom reminded me, uh, this was going on about uh, two decades ago. She reminded me, she said, hey, I remember you were always frustrated in school. And you always were, you know, wanted to teach kids and wish that that was taught. And that immediately changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, that's why I'm here now. I founded the uh, National Financial Educators Council in 2006 formally. I was working on things a, a few years before. Um, and really the mission then was to educate youth and help them avoid the problems that I went through and many people do. It's since expanded. We serve all ages and we work a lot with those people in financial services to not only educate who they're serving and their clients, but also to build their brand around financial wellness. So people are building that, they're building trust in their community and just an easier person to talk to. It's a lot easier to talk to somebody that you think will educate you rather than sell to you. For sure. I, I I agree with you though, man. I was like, I remember sitting in business calc and just be like, dude, I am never going to use this. And like never has knowing what a mitochondria is like helped me in my life. Yeah. yeah. You know, let's, what's interesting let's... to me, man, is the fact that when I took the SAT and the ACT, it was a pencil and a piece of paper. And they said, oh, they're never going to let you use calculators to take everybody's walking around literally with a calculator in their hand at mm -hmm. all times jokes and, on you teacher. And subsequently they're allowed to do it now. And I mean, I, I feel like I'm better at math than my kids are because I can do it in my head because I had to, I didn't have an option, but I don't know what that really translates to in terms of earnings for me to me. It's taken me, you know, time to do that in my head when I could have done it, uh, done the job quicker and more efficiently using technology. Why wouldn't I do that? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that there was this general lack of acceptance of technology. Yeah, I'm 50. I don't know how old you are, Vince. Mm -hmm. I know Kyle's younger than, than I am, but, you know, at 50 years old, I'm kind of a tweener. You know, we had some technology, but not a ton. You know, we didn't really have much more than calculators available to us. You know, I remember when we got our first Apple computer in, in our classroom at school, right? Like that was a big deal. And so we didn't have all this stuff, but I think that there's a delicate balance of having technology to solve problems, but still having a general understanding of the problem that that technology is solving for you. And I realize we're going way deeper than we need to regarding math, but budgetary software. You know, I remember when Quicken first came out, that was like a big thing. Everybody had this new personal budgeting budgeting software that they could use. Or I can remember the first time that my dad took me to talk to his state farm agent about auto insurance and why I would need life insurance at some point and all these things. I remember, but if you think about it, it was all being driven by home. Home is where, you know, even if I wasn't learning the lessons from my parents, my parents were pushing me in the direction of the people who were the experts to teach that. And as I got more and more involved, you know, I started following people like Larry Burkett and Dave Ramsey and, and others that, you know, talked about how to not you know be debt free and all of the other stuff. And I think that at the end of the day, what it boils down to is we all have a lot of tools available to us. We also have a lot of talking voices in our ear and you yeah. need to listen to everything and then sort out what makes sense to you and what 
what's going to work for you because there's things that that work for my household that simply aren't going to work for Kyle's household or somebody else's and vice versa. So, I mean, well, I think that's, that's part of the struggle too, is you mentioned that there's like a lot of noise, right? Like, I mean, you're on social media or you're watching TV or Netflix or whatever it is. And it's like all these people talking and chirping and telling you what you should and shouldn't do. How do you filter out the nonsense and the stuff that doesn't make sense for you? I think that's probably where a lot of people have, have a rough time starting. Yeah, no, and I'll tell you what, I'll tell you exactly where we need to start. We need to have Vince identify or define rather what financial wellness even means. I don't even know that the average person understands what financial wellness represents. Yeah, yeah, happy to. And I think a lot of people think of financial literacy wellness as just having the knowledge, right? I know what a good credit score is, right? And and there's levels of knowledge, right? You can know what a good credit score is. You can know the three credit bureaus. You can know, hey, you should pay your bills on time. But does that mean you can apply it? You know, we need to get people to the stage where they know how to get their credit report, know how to analyze it, know how to create a plan and know how to tackle those things in in a very effective way. So there's levels of knowledge even. So uh, financial wellness, I would consider knowledge on higher order thinking skill sets. So when somebody's financially well, they know how to apply it, but it also addresses behaviors, right? The majority of people know how to budget, right? Now, do they have behaviors that align with that budget? Now, that's another question entirely. Um, same thing with sentiment, confidence. I'm sure you guys get this question all the time. A client will come to you and they'll have a question. They know the answer. They just aren't 100% confident. They'll say something like, hey, I think this is it, but is it, right? And they'll just need that confirmation. So that confidence is key to making people actually uh, uh, utilize that. Also having systems, you know, today, like you mentioned, we have so much access to systems. We don't have to go into the bank. Things can be automated. Bill pays can be automated, all that stuff. And also a team, right? So to cut what Kyle said, cut through the noise. If you have a trusted team, you're able to bring this to your team members and say, hey, I was reading about this. Is this BS? Or are they trying to sell me something? Or is this legit? And should I learn more about it? And I think that team, uh, trusted team member is key. And that's why I think that educator positioning is so critical for people in financial services so they feel comfortable coming to you with those questions and that's where business can be generated absolutely so what do you think one of the biggest pitfalls is people fall into like aside from the fact they don't understand financial wellness or have a a general fluency in financial literacy I think it's a few things. You know, first, from the time we're born, we're, we're really indoctrinated into this consumerism from ads, influencers, all these things, especially this new generation, right? Now, Dave and I are a little different. I'm, I'm going to be 50. I'm going to catch up with you in the, here in a few weeks. Um, but we're you, you and me both. I'm not, I'm not far away, man. September 8th. Our, July 17th. So, damn, okay. I'm older than you. So, okay, I'm the oldest <laughs> guy here. Uh, but uh, um, so, you know, a lot of them are indoctrinated with this purchase. So it really starts with these behaviors forming young. And Brown University did an interesting study where financial habits form around age nine and is very hmm. hard to break. Um, so that's that's one major uh, pitfall I see. Uh, second, people just don't have a plan, right? They don't have a plan. So what am I going to learn? Oftentimes, people's plans re- revolve around major issues that impact them because they weren't planned, right? Uh, you know, I lost my job. Now what? Oh, what about your emergency money? Oh, I don't have that, right? So it's scramble. Um, the other thing is plans 
revolve around, you know, wants in life. And it can be a positive thing. I want to buy a home. I want to buy it now. Okay, but you have a 450 credit score, no money saved to 50 grand in debt. You're not ready. So a lot of this becomes proactive. So I think it's really, uh, you know, the mess that's out there really is behaviors, lack of plan, more reaction than proactivity, and just lack of knowledge. Nobody's taught this. And it seems to me like just a fundamental thing. We'd make sure that everybody's taught. You know, if we look back in history, parents, that was a key thing that they were doing is teaching their kids how to survive, become self-sufficient, contributing members like what your parents did, bringing to the state farm age. I think it's a great tip for everybody in this insurance sector is because if you invite families to interact with other professionals, that's a good thing to initiate that conversation. And it puts that that advisor, that insurance rep in a position where they're really showing their care about their family. Um, and they want to make sure that this information is passed on multi-generationally. Yeah. I mean, I do agree. I'm, I'm big time into family values and I think that it definitely has to start at home. But I think that we're also in a time in our society where not everybody comes from a family environment that makes that possible, right? There's a large number depending on the economic situation you're in or the the, the uh, geographic situation you're in, which could breed into the economic piece or or even what demographic you are puts you with a hand at least tied behind your back because there are so many single parents that are in urban areas where you have people growing up without a, 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 a unified front, I'll say, because it's not, I think, look, we could get into the debate about how families work and the nucleus of a family and all of that. That's not what our podcast is about. So I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I do think, and I will make this statement that you cannot replace having a father and a mother both in the house living harmoniously um like you like like you could with other things right a single parent father or mother and i would i would bet on the single moms before i bet on the single dads most of the time for seeing things through to completion but it's overwhelming and there's only so much that you're able to deal with the other thing is, I think that there's a lot of animosity around having conversations about money with people in general, not just um, family or spouses or whatever. But, you know, I've told my wife time and time again, I have no problem sitting down and going through the budget and talking about finances and all of that stuff. We just need to schedule it. I need to know it's coming, you know, and that's my communication style. My communication style is not when I walk in the house at seven o'clock at night after I've run a bunch of different errands and been at work during the day and put out fires and dealt with, you know, difficult prospects and clients that I want to get hit between the eyes with, Hey, I want to talk about what we're going to do with the kids college, right? Of course I want to talk about what, you know, is going to happen with my kids college. If that's the direction they choose, they want to go. I just don't want to do it. The second I walk in the door, let's set a time where I know to expect it. And I think, that's one of the things that is probably saved. I shouldn't say saved because it's not like our my marriage has ever been at risk with, with Andrea, but it's one of the things that keeps us sane. She knows that about me because I told her, look, this is how this needs to happen in order for it to work. But a lot of people don't even have that conversation and people are awkward about how to approach it because they just have never been 
coached or taught, this is how you have conversations about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And we see that we train financial coaches and one of the most challenging situations is husband and wife, right? And in the conversations, typically when they first talk about their goals and direction of life, it's like they never talked about this before. At least you guys are talking, which is wonderful. But a lot of times, you know, the husband will be like, hey, I want to you know travel around the world, do this, that, and the other. Wife's like, oh, I want to take care of an aging parent. So their goals are completely different. So mm. one of the hardest parts of that coaching aspect is making sure it's cohesive um, and, and they're kind of working toward that same objective. And I'm that's sure a, that's a really good point. Yeah. And insurance, I'm sure it's the same. People have different goals. It's like, hey, let's bring these goals together. Let's have those awkward and hard conversations uh, sometimes because, you know, we need to settle that early on. So we're working the same goals and directions. So we know exactly what policies and things we need to place to protect us in that future. So by the age of nine, they've developed this behavior. My son's three and he's already got it down. He just says, hey, can you buy me this? Buy me this. He'll be watching something on TV and he'll see like a truck. Dad, can you buy me that? I'm like, dude, what? No. Yeah, I'll get you. I'll get you. I'll, I'll send you guys over. We'd have this uh, chore activity for kids starting age three. So it gets in the habit of working and earning so they can purchase those things. So I'll send that to you. Uh, I like that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Definitely well, you know, do that. It, it's interesting because um, I was I spoke at a conference out in Phoenix a couple months ago, and the keynote for the conference was Damon John, who literally just came out with a brand new book about like little Damon teaches kids about money, I think is what the name of the book is. If it's not, it's the general premise. And it's interesting because there's a guy who came from absolutely nothing, built himself up into, you know, a multimillionaire many times over. And he wants to give back to the same people from the same place that he came from because he wants to make it easier on them. And I think, I think that's the other piece of it too, is it's interesting to see how, the media, not necessarily even the media, but enter the entertainment world, the Hollywood world depicts money versus what real wealth in the country looks like. Right. And, um, uh, Tom Stanley, uh, wrote about this in the last book. I think it was the last book he wrote before he passed away called stop pretending you're rich and live like a real millionaire. And he gets into the difference between a balance sheet and an income statement. And he says, you're always going to have in society, the ultra wealthy people, like they're just, it, it's going to happen. You, you just need to take that and, and just kick it to the side because they're outliers. They're not, you're, you're probably never realistically going to get there. And I'm not look before the hate mail starts coming in. I'm not trying to squash anybody's dreams, but let's live logically. You might make 10 million, but you're probably not going to make a hundred. Okay. There's a big difference. And the issue becomes you know, that we try and, and, and make our decisions or that's where we go for information or, or our thought process or whatever else. When in reality, you know, the millionaire next door and, and, and that book and all of the stats that come with it is really where the real wealth in the country comes from. It is that millionaire next door that is they have money because they know what to do with it. You know, the reason why you see a lot of NBA players and a lot of NFL players, to me, they're very similar to the person who just randomly hits on the Powerball. Yeah. You take somebody who has no fundamental training or understanding with how to deal with money and wealth, 
And then you put them in this pressure cooker where they have to learn like immediately. How are they going to deal with what appears to be at the time, a never ending supply of money and wealth. And we all know that's not the case. And they end up bankrupt within a couple of years after retiring from a somewhat successful athletic career or, you know, Look at Wesley Snipes. Why didn't the dude pay his taxes, man? Like, yeah, you can just keep yeah. going on and on and on with all these examples. And it all boils down to a general lack of education because people, you, you, if you take somebody who doesn't know how to deal with money and you entrust them with a bunch of money, what do you think is going to happen? Right? It's like nothing usually not going to come from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. And I think really the front line of this, since it's not taught in a lot of parents' households, it's not taught in schools, is really insurance people, advisors, mortgage individuals, realtors. That's the front line of education as I see in this country, because they're coming to you with questions, right? And they, they've done their research online. But again, like, like Kyle pointed out, it's like, hey, what do I trust? What don't I? So, you know, I think there's a huge amount of trust that can be built if we really focus and shape our message around education, if we're contributing to the communities, we do a lot of uh, uh, campaigns, we're going to communities, donate resources in the name of individuals, build that relationship from the education standpoint. So we know, hey, this is somebody I can ask questions to. They may they may think it's dumb, but they're going to treat me with a, you know, a certain level of respect because they're educators. They're not trying to sell me. I'm not going to get shooed out of the door. I mean, I think that's a, a subtle shift. And I really consider us all in the same space. You're educating people now on a, a things that's important to their income, right? You're educators. Um, you know, the frontline insurance people, they're educators. That's what they're doing every day. Me as a financial educator, I'm an educator as well. So we're all in the same uh, boat together. And, and really, you know, our call is really, hey, let's band together and really make a difference. I think the heart of the country relies upon self-sufficient contributing members of society. And the more we can empower people, the knowledge to just navigate this, this road, it's getting more complex over, over the years, but it's still the same fundamental principles. If we can help them navigate this more effectively, they can live a much better, better fulfilling life, take care of their family, friends, and be there for people. So uh, I appreciate what you guys do. And, um, you know, again, this is a call to action for people to, Hey, let's, let's join in this financial wellness movement together. Well, and I think it's something that needs to be talked about at all times, not just when it's needed or necessary from perception piece, right? Because we're in the hardest insurance marketplace nationally that, I, that I've ever seen in the 20 plus years I've been doing this. And I hear the same from a lot of my peers who've been doing it even longer. So you're at a time where premiums are going up and the way that you adjust that is you either take more risk on yourself, which I advocate people take as much risk as they're comfortable taking in order to control overall, you know, total cost of that risk. Right. But you've got homeowners that now have to make decisions between do I even want comp and collision on the older car, even, even though they would have taken it prior, or do I want to take a, a 15 or a thousand or a $2,500 deductible as opposed to 500 or what am I going to do with wind coverage here in Florida or flood or any number of other things? And, you know, you're having to make decisions and maybe not in the best financial health to make those decisions. And it just makes the situation even worse because you get people and, and look, my number one piece of advice or the comment that I make, some people might find it to be flippant, but it is a hundred percent true. And that is, 
if you can't afford the premium, you certainly can't afford the claim, no matter what it is. Right. And so you've got people who are complaining because they had a premium increase. I get it. We all have bills, too. I see stuff going up at the gas pump at the grocery store and all of that. We're not the bad guy. We're the middleman in most cases. And you hear people complaining about their premium going up and they don't know how they're going to be able to afford it. And then the first thing they want to do is go just take some absurd self-insured retention or a deductible thinking that's going to somehow improve the out-of-pocket that they're going to have to spend in the event of a claim. When in reality, if you look at it, they have one thing that they try and claim by the time you throw their out-of-pocket in on top of the premium they paid to calculate their overall out-of-pocket. It's more money than the premium would have been to begin with, but they don't have the money to fund it. So there's no comfort level in taking that risk and taking a higher deductible level. Everything is so intertwined, yet it starts at education, period. Our industry is 100% responsible for the condition that it's in, in my opinion, because the people who do what we do every single day, they don't take the time to educate because they're salespeople and their compensation is not tied to comprehension. It's tied to commission in the sale of a product. If we were paid on how well we explain what we do and people understand it and they take a test and we could get bonus based off of how well we explain that and how well they retained it, the whole world would be a much better place for that. But the fact of the matter is we have to spend so much time educating because the industry by and large hasn't adopted that mindset yet. I bet you it would be, I bet you not even 50% of the of the consumers out there who purchase an insurance product right now could even have a fighting chance of explaining what reinsurance is and what it has done to the overall state of the insurance marketplace or even no like, or even like a deductible like i mean yeah, there's true. people out there like so i, I mean the education piece of this i mean how many how many times have you won accounts just from ed- educating? I think that's like that's what that's what we do, obviously. So it sounds weird to hear, um, you know, that in my ears that like people are focused on making the sale because in my mind it's like, well, okay, well if I educate, you know, this potential client, well, I'm gonna get <laughs> I'm gonna get the sale and get the commission. Well, when I, deductible? You know, when deductible is a great example, right? Typically. Yeah. Now you're seeing 5%, 5%, sometimes sometimes 10% in commercial, just depending on mm-hmm. the size of the, of the property and in the distance to the coast and everything. Most people, when you go to talk to them about a percentage deductible, the first thing they go to is it's a percentage of the, of the claim amount. That's right. what they think, right? So I'm, I could be sitting in a $10 million building with a 10% wind hail deductible, meaning I'm on the hook. Or let's just say the only thing I have is the building, because actually, in most cases, it's the total insurable values at the location you know, when you're in excess and surplus line. So it's not just the percentage of the building. It's the percentage of everything that's at mm-hmm. that location. But all we have is a building, no contents, nothing. At a mil- at $10 million with a 10% deductible, you're on the hook for a million bucks. But if you had a storm come through and it did 250,000 worth of damage, the average person that I've talked to over the course of 20 years thinks they're on the hook for 25 grand, 10% of the loss, not 10% of the total insurable values at the location. Now, if I have that same $10 million building and I threw another 10 million in contents on top of it, 
Now I'm on the hook for 10% of $20 million, not 10% of $10 million or 10 million for contents and 10 million for building. Some deductibles may work that way, but it all depends on how well the provider, the, the agent knows coverage forms and everything else. And I mean, this is just one thing. This is one small thing in property insurance. You, we haven't even gotten into time element coverage, here, extra though. expense, expediting expense, all of the other stuff that we could talk about. And the reason why I'm going to go ahead and call it out and every one of y'all can get pissed off at me for saying this, but you don't take your continuing education seriously. The agents that are out there are pencil whipping continuing ed. They're having somebody do it for them and sit through a CIC and just click the button to make sure that they know they're still there or they go on and they skip to the end. They take the test and it shows that they have ethics, right? The whole thing is absurd. We need to be held to a higher standard in our industry, and that needs to start with ourselves. And the people who do and actually want to learn and become better and sharpen the saw on a daily basis, they're the guys and ladies that are at the top of the stack every single time. That's the problem. We got to educate ourselves first before we can educate other people. I definitely agree. And I think, you know, I, I know they're looking at the income and so forth, but I think if they, we could just switch a little bit to look at the long-term relationship and creating a lifetime client, as opposed to a client that doesn't know much, they wake up in the middle of the night, they're worried, hey, am I covered for this? You get those late night emails, am I covered? Am I good here? Um, you know, or right before a, a storm comes into Florida, right? Hey, what am I looking at here? They should know that in advance. So I think with with you guys taking that role as educating, really explaining things in a clear, concise way, that's a lot what education is. That's building a long-term client. That's building somebody that can will come back to you and won't be sold by somebody else, you know, somebody else that comes along and educates them. Um, that's an easy loss of a client. Um, but again, I think that education perspective in something like this, because there are some complexities that need to be explained in a very layman's way, like you guys were showing, that's very critical. Um, and I think it just builds that deeper amount of trust. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the thing. Technology has taken the excuses away from that, right? So now let's let's rewind and let's talk about how you can educate your people, your, your constituency, whatever that may be, on financial wellness. If I need to explain a wind hail deductible to a prospect, I may not just rattle it off in the best way, shape, or form for them to understand it. What I can do is give a very technical explanation of it, and that's probably going to go over their head. So if I'm an agent with the tools of today at my fingertips, I'm going to sit down and type my explanation out, paste it into chat GPT and tell it to give that same information to me at a sixth grade reading level. Now I can go and explain it to somebody in best practices type language to make sure that they understand it. Whereas most of the time, we're just going to get frustrated that people don't understand what we're saying because it is a complex topic. It is a moving target, depending on carrier, whether the market's admitted or not. You know, there's a million things that could go into it, but we have a translating tool now. And to me, that's one of the most powerful features of Chat GPT. It's not just the fact that you can create content from it, you can take content that you already have created that maybe isn't hitting the mark or is too advanced for who the normal lay people you're going to meet with on a regular basis, put it in there and water it down, man. I mean, there's absolutely no reason we shouldn't be doing that. It's the same reason why I tell producers before you go out on a sales call, you need to play two roles. You need to play the role of the producer and the role of the decision maker. And whatever that business is, you need to ask ChatGPT to give you bullet points about it. 
hey, I'm a middle market commercial insurance agent. And I'm going out to meet with a precision machining shop this afternoon. What are the bullet points I need to pay attention to from an insurance and risk management standpoint? Boom. Instant list is going to come out to you. Well, guess what? You can't stop there. You got to take that extra step and go back and say, I own a precision machining shop. I'm meeting with a commercial insurance agent this afternoon. What yeah. questions should I be asking? Now you that's, can anticipate the questions that that person is going to ask you and know the answer before you ever walk in. Because again, we get so focused with tunnel vision that, oh, chat GPT, it was designed for the insurance industry. We're the only ones who are ever going to use it. No, your customers are going to use it and they're going to use it against you if you're not proactive in your approach to using the tech. So I think that that, you know, as much as it can, as chat GPT can do for us, the ability to take a complex topic that you may understand very, very well and get it to be explained in a much more elementary way is a huge advantage because I can tell you, man, technical writing was the least favorite class that I had to take in college. It was horrible. But if you wanted a business major, you had to take technical writing. And my project for technical writing was to teach the people at a retirement home how to set up and program a, a VCR to record a show later. That's how long ago I was in college the first time. <laughs> we still had to figure out how to program the VCR. Kyle, a VCR had this tape. Because <laughs> but you Dude, know i had mad i had mad vhs tapes back in the day and to piggyback on what you're saying there i love that idea of chat gpt and asking those questions wonderful we can also use visual cues like so it's image so they're getting that data they can visually see it uh, we can use ongoing education so dripped in the email system so technology can be our friends in many different ways and you really take that long-term objective of educating our clients i think is good but i love that chat gpt uh, tip yeah, I think everybody needs to really like write that down. That's a solid one. I mean, you can sit there and think about doing it from your perspective all day long, but to and and you you know, when you're getting ready to go out on calls, you always kind of or, or even pick up the phone and and try to book an appointment. You're you're always thinking about what the objections may be or what some of the common things you're going to run into, but to be able to just punch that in and have it spit it out, it's going to think of some stuff that you didn't really you know, may not have popped right into the forefront. Well, the other thing too is you can even say, what are some objections that I'm going to run into dealing with a precision yeah. machine shop that does 20 million? I mean, be as specific as you can. Let it come up with that list of objections and then take each one of those bullet points and ask it for some responses that could be used to overcome that objection at the point of sale. It basically does your job yeah. for you. You just need to read it and actually pay attention to it. So you know, I think that um, I, I just think that there's so much available to us now. There's really no real excuse for us not to go out and be able to to get deals done um, and certainly not, you know, no excuse for us not to be educating clients and prospects. It's just it, it, it there, there's no reason for it because we have so many like chat GPT up until 2000 to 2021 literally read everything on the internet, you know, for all practical purposes, it consumed mm -hmm. almost everything it possibly could. Now, granted it stopped learning and it'll, there will be a gap depending on how um, up to date you need your information to be, but for what we're doing, human psychology hasn't really changed any, any in over the years, right? <laughs> Understanding how to overcome objections hasn't changed. It's just a matter of sitting and look, it goes back to this. 
you have to have a plan and then you have to you have to execute it like you can't just go to your new business appointment and hope to listen to a podcast on the way there that's going to give you the answer for how to navigate it you have to have time on your calendar blocked to prepare for your new business appointment on a dry run or two so that you can actually go and do these things that's why we have time to do them is because they make it onto our calendar it's intentional you have to you have to make time to plan and it's just like again going back to financial wellness money in and of itself it doesn't have a personality it can't make decisions it does whatever we tell it to do so if you're not sitting down and making time to create a budget and then even review that budget to see that it's working correctly and that your money's going where you've told your money to go when you don't get good results what are you irritated about and to your point about the drip marketing campaigns we should be doing this with a variety of topics it's certainly not limited to this but if we're running our businesses the right way and we have a bona fide CRM that's getting us statistics, you could be taking your drip campaigns that have to do with financial wellness and looking at the numbers, the open rates, the length of time on site, number of pages visited. And that is a roadmap for you to create coherent content that's going to be relevant to your audience as you move forward. That's like that's why marketing works, right? It's not just yeah. throw it against the wall and see what sticks. We're in an age where we literally have an open book test to marketing, yet so few people take advantage of it because, again, you have to invest in yourself and in the tools necessary to optimize that end of your business. And we're not willing to take the first investment because we don't even understand the return that it can give us. Yeah, and I think we can get so highly targeted. If we know our clients don't have the money to afford it, we can we can ask, hey, what's the problem? Budgeting debt, whatever. We can send them drip education on debt if that's their major issue. Or, hey, my credit's bad. I have these high interest rate loans. Hey, here's a credit education course. Again, it's one question. We're providing added value. Hey, I'm not just worried about your insurance. Mm -hmm. I want to help you on your overall finances I'm committed to your financial wellness. Yes, this is my scope in financial services and on the insurance side, but I want to help you improve your overall finances. That's my goal. That's my objective. And I think when people feel that from you and they they know you listen, and then you went out of your way to send them these emails, they don't know it's drip marketing. Oftentimes they just think, oh, look, you know, this guy's sending me a nice email about paying off debt. Um, so there's relationships built with each touch point. Um, and I think we can be a huge target mm -hmm. of value add. You're going to know more about people's finances often than they can really comprehend about themselves. So I see a lot of the times the insurance rep as that quarterback in their financial situation that can really guide them the best. And I think it's a, a simple but easy thing to add. Um, and once it's working and automated, then you're going to get those leads, you know, from five, 10 years later of people that have been following and maybe not uh, a client yet that you can build into a, a, a deep, trusted relationship for when they need you. Definitely. You've been doing this a while, man. What, like, what's one of your favorite success stories? Um, you know, I think the my favorite success stories aren't often the the most flashiest, right? They take a long time and they they take just work and dedication and that that little grind that's adding little bit by little bit. And I love my parents' story. You know, they were working and and they just, you know, typical jobs, right? And they made it. They're retired. They're up in Montana. I, I look up to them for that. And they built their home. They've been able to do these cool things, but they had a plan. I watched them continually work out. I watched them give up and sacrifice for us and, and, and the family. And I watched them progress, learn about these different things. 
And then they, they made it right. And they're living their dream up in the, the woods with the grizzly bears and all that fun stuff up there. Um, so I, I would say personally, that's my favorite. And uh, yeah, I love those overnight rags to riches stories and all that, but really what we see. But they're TV not relatable, is, right? Yeah. Like it's not the, the those ones common. aren't yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not the most common. I think the the majority, and I, I know you guys mentioned the you know the millionaire next door and other books. It's it's the the slower grind where you're adding and gaining more security over time. I really respect people that can stay focused for that long, and even with tides changing and all that stuff, and and if you can weather all those storms, um, it's it's a great thing. But yeah, I think it can give you more appreciation in that moment too. You know, like if you've got to go through a grind to get there, and it's not some sort of overnight success. I mean, there's something to be said for that. So what have we missed, man? I mean, we've been going for close to an hour now. I want to be respectful of your time. What what do you want to get out there to everybody that we haven't haven't brought up and discussed yet? Yeah, really, I think we cover a lot of great questions. By the way, I think, hey, if 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 I can encourage a few of you to in- include and bring financial education into what you do, um, I think that would help us with our mission, but also help you as far as the business side. If you need us, reach out to us uh, via our website financialeducatorscouncil.org. Um, also my LinkedIn, Vince Shorb, S-H-O-R-B. And really we help people in the financial service space build a, re- a brand around financial wellness. So you're not just educating, we're building a brand around that. We're making donations in your name to local organizations. We're doing marketing and promotions that really highlight this messaging that's a, a bigger than just, hey, this, this niche that you're doing in the uh, financial service space and you're really looking at people holistically and i think with a brand and the education materials we want to help build your business uh, so we really see it as a win-win uh, you're helping us spread this message and it's something you're already committed to right you're in the space for a reason you want to help people with money that's where we want to help people with money too we just do it through a different vehicle and we really love to team up with those people that have that passion or that, that wish they were taught about money as a kid right um so if you're interested in that just reach out to me anytime i'm happy to help Good cool, deal. Man. Well, you got his contact information, everybody. I feel like we're at a good stopping point. I feel like we've we've drilled this thing as much as we possibly can. At the end of the day, we need to educate ourselves and in turn educate those that we choose to represent or wish to represent. And it makes life a whole lot easier. So the next time you're sitting there and you're not paying attention when you've got an instructor in continuing ed going over a concept that you probably are going to need to know down the road, Put the phone down, put the newspaper down, pay attention and make yourself better. At the end of the day, you can't help anybody else until you're willing to help yourself. So I'll leave it with that. Vince, it's been awesome getting to know you a little bit. Look forward to uh, getting this episode out to our audience and we'll make sure that we give you a heads up when that's ready to roll. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time today. Absolutely. Take care. Everybody else, we'll catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.